Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, walk this way. Now, I found it interesting in Luke 9, 23, that Jesus talks about the cross early on in his ministry before he ever reached the place of being crucified. It tells me that he knew exactly what was coming. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew the way that he was going to die. And I want us to catch today that in using the example of the cross, um, Jesus was letting us know how those of us that follow him would have to deny ourselves and pick up our own cross or we would not successfully do it. Won't successfully do it. So the whole issue of the cross, of course, is pivotal to Christianity. Jesus had read David in Psalms 22 where he totally prophesied because when David talks about the cross, that I'm going to read to you in just a moment, the cross hadn't even been invented. But he talked about crucifixion. Jesus read this. Let me just read to you what Jesus was well aware of. And, and actually, it's Jesus talking in the first person through David. It's an amazing prophecy. He says, for dogs have surrounded me, capital M. Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, all the mockers and ridiculers surrounding the cross. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. I can look down. All my bones are protruding, hanging on this cross. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare back at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we know that the Roman soldiers did just that. They cast garments for that one-piece garment that Jesus wore. And one of them won and took it and wore it. So Jesus borrowed from the picture of a death on the cross to describe the kind of self-denial his true disciples would have to practice. And, you know, people have said to me through the years, they've said, you know, Jeff, Christianity just didn't work for me. And I have to reply, no, Christianity did not not work for you. You just didn't do it right. Because Christianity works for anybody who understands the terms of the agreement. Okay? Now, the minute I hear Jesus use the analogy of a cross, it doesn't bless me. Pick up my cross deny myself. I don't like denying myself. Nobody in here likes denying themselves. And do it daily, not just weekly, but daily. Not just on Sundays, but daily. I'm to pick up a cross and deny myself and follow him. If I were trying to convince you to follow a certain lifestyle, the last thing I would tell you is kill yourself or deny yourself or crucify yourself. But Jesus did he told the truth. Crucifixion. It was one of the most painful and humiliating forms of death ever devised by the wicked heart of men. It was one of the most dreaded methods of execution in the entire ancient world. The last thing you wanted to hear was, you're going to the cross. In our day, death by injection, they would have thought that was easy. But they were told, not death by injection, but you're going to the cross. As you know, victims of this form of capital punishment had their hands and their feet bound, and then nails were put through 
the hands and the feet. And there they hung in exquisite agony until they could no longer breathe because you can't pull yourself up anymore once you've hung there for a while. You, you can't hoist yourself back up to catch a breath. So a lot of the people crucified died by asphyxiation, as did Jesus. We find accounts of crucifixion recorded as early as the 6th century B.C., so 600 years before Jesus, they came up with this form of execution, the cross. But it was centuries after David. So when David said, they have pierced my hands and my feet, it was totally prophetic, looking down the tunnel of time through the prophetic eye, being told by the Spirit of God that God's Messiah would be pierced in his hands and feet. It was primarily reserved for traitors, um, captive armies, slaves, and the very worst of criminals, and Jesus was hung between two thieves, the lowest of the lowest criminals of his day. There God's son hung. Now, that's grim, but I got to tell you, thank God he did it. And far from being always a negative, the cross we're commanded by Jesus to pick up is the only means by which we will successfully follow the Lord to the end. Let me tell you something about this life of Christianity that we're in. Christianity is not a 100-yard dash. It is a lifelong, daily marathon. And so Jesus has that in mind. He, and he's, he's telling us, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. And the only way you're going to get to the end, the only way you're going to reach the end of your life, having successfully followed the Lord, is if you picked up the cross and denied yourself. I want you folks to think about this. Because see, a lot of people, as I said, they say Christianity didn't work for me. No, you just didn't understand how it works. Everything has an instruction manual, and so does Christianity, and it's right here in this Word. This is God's instruction manual for us to walk with Him successfully all the way to the end, run that marathon, and at the end of life, we want to hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you a ruler over much. You fought the good fight. You finished your course. You kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give to those who are excited about his appearing. But the only way to get there, and I want us to catch this today so that we can understand the terms of the agreement that when you are saved and you begin this Christian walk, the only way we're going to successfully reach the end without having cooled off or missed our calling or fallen short of God's destiny for us is if we pick up that cross. If any man wants to follow me, that was Jesus' hypothetical. He said, listen, if anybody wants to follow me, now who was he talking to? He was talking to a crowd of thousands of people who had been following him all through the wilderness. And, and, and it was a great, great time for these folks. He had healed them. The Bible tells us in Luke 9, you can just read Luke chapter 9 and see what they were experiencing as they followed the Son of God. He had healed every one of them. He had taught them. The Bible says like no man ever taught to listen to Jesus was like listening to a beautiful symphonic orchestra. 
And then he had performed the greatest miracle of all when he took five loaves and two fishes and prayed over them and handed them to the disciples. And they began to hand them out. And lo and behold, they began to multiply. And thousands of people were fed miraculously with five loaves and two fishes. So for these folks, following Jesus was great. It was a never-ending Bible seminar. Free food. No more sickness. Great teaching. Fed. Not a care in the world. Who wouldn't have loved being his disciples? So Jesus saw these people and knew why they were following him. He said, let me tell you something. If you really want to follow me, here's what it's going to take. Lest you misunderstand. Now, before going into what he said, deny me and pick up your cross, let me clarify something very important. Following Jesus is exactly what it means to be a genuine Christian. Follow me. It's more than a ticket to heaven when you die. People say, I went down the altar and I got saved, I got my ticket to ride, I'm going to heaven. And that's what it's all about. I've got my fire insurance. Uh, I'm not going to go to hell. I avoided hell. I'm going to heaven. But it's more than that. That's in the hereafter. What about the here and now? Jesus was concerned about not just the hereafter, but the here and now, our walk on this planet in the life that he's given us. We used to sing a song when I first came to Jesus. I, I learned to play guitar just so I could lead Bible studies. I learned C, G, and F, and I really think I personally made heaven sick of kumbaya. <laughs> but one of the songs we sung, see, this was back in the 70s in the middle of the Jesus movement, and we understood what it meant to be saved. We used to sing this all the time, and it went like this, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Then it said, the world behind me, bye-bye to the world, and the cross before me. We had it in our minds. You pick up that cross and you follow him. No turning back. No turning back. And then it said this, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And that concept which is a biblical concept, was put down into my spirit early on. To come to Jesus not only means he's your Savior, but he's your Lord. The Bible never separates lordship from saviorship. If he's your Savior, he's your Lord. The two are a package. They come together. You cannot say, well, I'm going to get saved, and then later I'll make him Lord. You never make him Lord. He's already Lord, and it's a matter of us realizing that once we're saved, we're bought with a price, and we're no longer our own, and he is not only Savior, but he's boss man. He's Lord. That song was a song of total surrender, total discipleship. It meant that he's not just my Savior, he's my teacher, he's my guide, he's my Lord, he's my boss. What he says I will do, where he leads, I will follow. My life is no longer my own. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What field do you want me to go in? What is your call on my life? I want to follow you. Not just go to heaven, but read the red ink 
where Jesus taught and live according to his teachings. Sermon on the Mount. You know, it can take you a long, long way just to read the red part of your Bible. Read the red. Just read the red. What did Jesus say? He told us how to live. He told us how to walk. He told us how to live out our life. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me as a genuine believer, let me ask you here today, how many of you want to follow Jesus? All right, that's most of us. How many of you are praying about following him? Boy, that's a lot of you today. Now, let me ask that question again because I'm kind of having a heart attack up here. No, seriously. How many of you are praying about following him? All right. How many of you don't think you want to follow him, but you'll give me a hearing today anyway? Well, that's, I see that hand back there. God bless you. I'm kidding. Make the people on the back row feel bad. They all... All right. If you're going to follow him, now, now, now Jesus is going to tell us how we do it. He said, first, you must deny yourself. Well, immediately, I don't like it. Because I like doing what I want to do. How many of you can say amen to that? Now, that word deny is a very, very strong word. It's the same word that Jesus used when he looked at Simon Peter one day and said, Peter, you're going to deny me, deny me three times. Peter said, not me, never. I'll never deny you. Jesus said, you'll do it before the rooster crows. You will deny me three times. Same word in the Greek language he used for his message to Peter that he used to say, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. So how did Peter deny Jesus? How did the denial manifest itself? Peter's denial of Jesus was fierce. It was passionate. It was final. It was complete. I don't know him, don't know him. And then the third time, blankety blank. I don't know him. Well, that's pretty final. Same word, when Jesus said, deny yourself, he's saying we must completely, wholeheartedly deny ourselves with the same intensity, the same passion, the same fullness as Peter denied Jesus. Self, I deny you. It's important to understand that Jesus, and please get this, he is not speaking about self-hatred or self-loathing or self-abuse. He's not teaching us to be self-mutilating masochists. He's not saying you shouldn't like yourself. He's not saying be down on yourself. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want him to be misunderstood. That is not what he was saying. To deny yourself simply means to deny your selfish self, your willful self, your self-centered self. How many of you have realized somewhere along the way that you can be selfish? Let me see. Boy, the rest of you, we're going to have an altar call. (laughs) See, Jesus is saying yourself is one of your biggest obstacles to following Jesus. 
or he would not have said, now, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to watch out for yourself, and you're going to have to learn to deny yourself, because if you don't learn to deny yourself, yourself, your selfish self, centered self, seeking self, is going to rise up and, and, and act as an obstacle to your following me to the end. Your self-seeking self must take a back seat. If you want to follow Jesus, the person who denies himself is the person who no longer lives for himself. See, that's what we were all doing before we were saved. We all lived for us. And our Godhead was me, myself, and I. But once we got saved, we've got a new Godhead. Not me, myself, and I, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And we no longer live for me, myself, and I, but we live for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Is anybody hearing me today? So, so one of the things that the Holy Spirit immediately begins to do in our life once he comes into our heart is he begins to deliver us from the tyranny of self. Listen to Peter out of the Message Bible. Now, don't freak out if you look in your Bible, and this doesn't sound like what you're seeing in your Bible because the Message Bible is a paraphrase, but he put it so well, I wanted to read it to you out of the Message Bible. 1 Peter 4, verse 2. Listen to what it says. Think of your current sufferings. How many in here are currently somewhere in your life suffering? Yeah, it's a suffering world. It's a hurting world. You know, last night, Saturday night, church at the altar call. We have people down this altar weeping, crying, broken, disillusioned, hurt. One woman came and just began to sob. Her second marriage had just failed. He'd walked out. She said, I thought that this was God's gift to me. What am I going to do? Pray with her. Jesus touched her. She left with peace we live in a hurting world. People are suffering on both sides of you today. So he says, here's the way I want you to look at your sufferings. As a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. What is the first thing we say as a child? Mine. And we say, I want that. And if we don't get that, we throw a temper tantrum. And people who are 60 and 70 years old are still doing it sometimes. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I want what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. Give it to me. Because the world revolves around me. I am the sun and you are the planet that revolves around me. So the Holy Ghost comes into our life and says, it's not all about you, and it's not you. And you're going to have to, to deny that selfish, self-centered, self-seeking self, or you're not going to be able to follow me. And look what he said. He said, that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way, then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. I could park right there and preach from that the rest of this service because that is really where we live. Listen, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who live for themselves and those who have died to themselves and live for God. And that latter is the minority. 
Most live for themselves. Peter says, if you want to be able to follow the Lord and be free from yourself. Now, remember when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I'm going to ask you a question. Free from what? Well, you say, well, free from sin. Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free from the tyranny of yourself. Because we all have within us from fallen Adam a selfish, self-centered, self-seeking self that we're going to have to learn to deny or it will be like a great big boulder on our pathway to following the Lord. He wants us to be free to pursue God, what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what we constantly want. It is our selfish self that demands to have things our way, that insists on what we want, when we want it, the way we want it, and if we can't get it, we can make your life miserable. Matter of fact, if you want to get rid of selfishness, get married. It's the fastest track to getting rid of selfishness because you get two selfish people who have always lived for themselves and they come together. And man, if there's not some give and take and compromise, you're in trouble. You're going to have to learn to deny yourself or that dog won't hunt. <laughs> Did you see, I, I felt a great amen on that one. It is the selfish self inside of all of us that stands in the way of God's plan and threatens to derail his purpose for us. So denying yourself means getting yourself out of the way of yourself because it's your selfish self that gets you in all your trouble anyway. You know, Flip Wilson used to say, the, the devil made me do it. Well, he was dead wrong. 98% of what we blame on the devil, we did it. Think of all the trouble you've ever been in, and I can tell you that most of it was because of your selfish, self-centered self and mine that demanded its own way, and we stepped out and took something or did something, made a decision that got us in all kinds of trouble because we would not deny ourselves. The day we learn to deny ourselves is the day we begin to experience much less trouble. <laughs> One commentator wrote this. He said, A man's self is to him the prime cause of most of his miseries. It's true. Let me tell you why our culture is so messed up and sliding down the abyss into decadence and despair and confusion and chaos and tumult. Let me tell you why. Because the philosophy of our culture out there that hits your mind and your brain every single day and tempts you to be like it, the philosophy of that culture is indulge yourself. Live like a hedonist. You live once and then you die, you might as well live, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. Indulge yourself do what you want to do. Live for yourself. And that's a false message. Jesus said, don't indulge yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. Deny yourself. So God has a remedy for our selfish self, and that is to deny it. But I'm going to tell you something. Denying it is not, just, it's not quite enough. Because look what he said. He that wants to follow after me must deny himself and then pick up his cross. So it's not just a matter of saying, well, I'm going to deny myself today. No, you've got to take it one step further 
and allow the Holy Spirit to crucify yourself. Crucify yourself. Amen, Jeff. That sounds good to me. Jesus said, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. God's solution for our selfish self is to crucify it with Jesus. Now listen to what Paul said. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. We used to sing a song, and we still do sometimes, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Let me answer that question. Yes, you were there. I was there. We were all there. You say, how was I there? Because, Jesus, because God laid on him the sins of us all. And here's what God says about you and me. When we came to Christ by faith and the Spirit of God came to live inside of us and we became born again by the Spirit of God, in God's mind, we were there with Jesus, hanging on the cross, and we were crucified with him. That old nature, sin nature... That selfish, self-centered, self-seeking self was crucified with him. My old self has been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way, says Paul, to live for Christ is to crucify your selfish self. You say, well, how do I do that? By faith. He that wants to follow after me, let him first deny himself, make himself secondary to the will of God, and pick up the cross, pick up the cross, and follow me. Now, the cross gets a bad rap sometimes. I'm going to tell you what the cross is not. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking... Well, my cross is my affliction or my disease that I deal with every single day. Listen, that's not your cross. My cross is my marriage. That's not your cross. You may need to pick up the cross to live in it. You may have to deny yourself to live in it, but it's not the idea that Jesus had when he said, pick up your cross. They, well, Pastor Jeff, you know, no, I don't have much joy of the Lord because every day I'm just carrying my cross. Well, what's your cross? Oh, it's my marriage. It's him. It's her. They are crosses. Your cross is not your mean boss or your difficult job. It's not any of the negatives of life where we hear people say, oh, it's just the cross that God's given me to bear. It's not it. Let me tell you what the cross is. The cross simply means this. When faced with a contest between your will and God's will, you choose God's will. That's the cross. That's the cross. That takes care of everything. In a contest between your will and God's will, you choose God's will, deny yourself, and choose God's will. Because let me tell you something. Yourself is not always going to want to go where God wants you to go. Look at it this way. Somebody offends you. Somebody stabs you in the back. Somebody does you dirty. And your self rises up and says, Vengeance is mine, saith self. I will repay. 
and you're a Christian, you go to church, you're lifting your hands every Sunday, but somebody does something to you and, 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 and yourself is rising up saying, get them back. Repay evil for evil. Vengeance is yours. Nobody should have to put up with that. But then here comes the will of God. Bless those that curse you. Ooh. Do good to them that hate you. Oh, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Ouch. I don't want to pray for them. I want to see lightning strike them. (laughs) Tell the truth. I don't know how God's letting them live. And you hear about something bad happened to them, and you go, yes. It was the judgment of God. He took up my cause. See, yourself is wanting you to take vengeance, but, but then you hear Jesus say, no, 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 vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I want you to pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up the cross, and then follow me. That's when the rubber meets the road. That's where you separate the men from the boys. That's when those who are really serious about their Christianity stand out from those who really aren't much into it. You say, well, wow, that's pretty strong, Jeff. Well, Jesus did it, and he's our example. Jesus knew he was headed to the cross. He knew he was hours away from it. He already knew that Judas had gone out and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, and I believe he knew that Judas was going to come up and deny him, turn him over, betray him with a kiss. So he's out there. He knows that Judas is doing his dirty work. All that he was worth to Judas was 30 pieces of silver. He goes to a garden. He tells the disciples, pray with me. This is it. And they all fell asleep on him. So he's alone. He's in the garden. The guy that he had led and taught and blessed and fed and loved for three years was turning him over. He's in the garden. He knows that he was born for this hour. He knows that this is why he's on the planet, to go to that cross. But he's conflicted. He's conflicted because he knows on that cross he's going to be temporarily separated from God. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because God's presence had lifted. Now, let me be clear. Jesus never became a sinner. He became a sin sacrifice. But it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So on that cross, in God's inimitable, unfathomable way, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when that happened... Jesus was temporarily cut off. And I think that's why he sweated great drops of blood. It wasn't the nails that were going to go through his hand and feet. It was the separation from the Father. That's what did it. So he's, he's in the garden. He knows he's hours away. And listen to what he says. This is amazing to me. Listen to what Jesus said. We've all prayed this way. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, if there's any other way for this 
to take place, for them to be redeemed? For, is there any other method, any other route, any other road, any other way? Then let this cup pass from me. Father, I am conflicted. Nothing in my flesh, in my being, wants this. And then he prayed, nevertheless. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you, nevertheless, that nevertheless made the difference to you and me in life and death, lost and found, blind to sight, hell and heaven, because he said, even though I don't want this, I want some other way, I know I must go your way, so I'm going to deny myself and not my will, but thine be done. Now that's the prayer. That's the prayer of, that's the prayer of anybody who understands. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. Because you're going to say it many times on any given day. Your, your office folks, they hey, man, we're going out. We're going to go to the bar. Let's go have a few drinks. And yourself rises up. Man, you deserve a break today. Why don't you just go with them? Yourself rises up. The will of God comes in and says, that wouldn't be wise. You deny yourself. You pick up your cross. And you say, crucified. And you follow him. You're dating somebody. And they say, come on, baby. And your flesh rises up. And you say, gosh, is this really against the will of God? Your flesh can really talk to you. And then the will of God comes. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. You pick up your cross and you follow him. Now, this happens in a million different ways in any given week, small, medium, and great. All kinds of forces come against the child of God, and we must be preemptive with this. I've made up my mind. I'm going to die to myself, deny myself, and I'm going to pick up the cross and follow him because he said I can't follow successfully unless I do that. Jesus said daily. Why daily? Why not just on Sunday with everything else that has to do with church? Because we have battles with a seductive world daily. The tempter spins his webs of temptation daily. The temptation to hide Jesus under a bushel rather than put him up on a lampstand where everybody can see him in our life. The temptation to push him under and not stand up for him comes daily. Our own selfish self wants his own selfish way daily. So in the morning, you just make up your mind. Today, I deny myself, I pick up the cross, and I follow him. Now let me tell you, in closing, why this matters. Because without a daily crosswalk, it won't be long before someone or something or some place successfully wins over your selfish self and you are lured out of the path of discipleship and you experience some pain and regret that you didn't have to. You really know that, Jeff? Paul said, I had a partner one time. His name was Demas. He went with me. He ministered with me. We saw devils come out, people healed. 
We preach the gospel, but Demas has deserted me. And then he gives why? Because he loves the things of this world. There was a day in Demas's life when he quit picking up that cross and he quit denying himself and the world began to call to him. Listen, if yourself is crucified, Satan's got nothing to work with. And so Demas was lured away. Now, I know this is strong, but church, listen, Christianity works for everybody, but you've got to understand the terms. Here's the terms. You want to follow me? You know what to do. Can we stand up together today? And you say, well, you know, I hear some of you, well, Jeff, you know, I've got to tell you, this message has not thrilled me. Um, I, yeah, I would have rather heard something more encouraging. Listen, that path of crucifixion is the narrow road that Jesus talked about that leads to life. It's the narrow road that leads to life. As soon as that old self of yours is crucified, the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow and flourish in your life. And the joy of the Lord is released. So let's pray together, can we? Father, I just thank you right now that you told us how to follow you. Lord, we can't do it perfectly. Never have and never will. But Lord, we can sincerely do it. We can sincerely seek you and follow you. Church, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands towards the Lord, would you? If you want to follow Jesus, would you just lift your hands to him? Say with me, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want my life to count for God. I receive your word on denying myself when it conflicts with your will. I preemptively decide to pick up that cross daily and walk with you. Thank you for gracing me to do what I could not do on my own. Now with every head bowed for a moment, I know in my spirit that there are people here today who are faced with a very strong enticement, temptation. Yourself is wanting to go one way and you sense deep down in your knower that God is wanting you to go another way. And there's a conflict. And this message may have come to you right in the nick of time. God knows where you are. He knows your name. He knows you. He knows the conflicts going on in your heart. He knows what the price will be if you give in and go against his will. And he loves you enough to bring this word to you and put the brakes on. Stand in front of the path and say, don't go there. Because I promise you, dear church, I promise you, anytime you depart from God's will, it's never worth it. So we're going to sing a stanza or two. And I want you just between you and God, I want you to say, Lord, he's right. You know the conflict. And Lord, grace me to obey this word 
as it relates to the conflict I'm having right now, that I would deny myself and choose you. Take a moment and pray between you and the Lord. Christ alone.